10. Tea of overeating. On the other hand, those doing heavy muscular work can hardly derive the energy which they need from less than three good meals a day. Though no definite rule can be laid down, there is involved a hygienic principle which all should follow, meals should not overlap. The stomach should be free from food taken at a previous meal before more is introduced into it. When this principle is not observed, material ferments in the stomach, causing indigestion and other disorders. It should be noted, however, that the overlapping may be due to overeating as well as to eating too frequently. Dangers from impure food. Food is frequently the carrier of disease germs and for this reason requires close inspection. Page 128. Typhoid fever. A most dangerous disease, is usually contracted through either impure food or impure water chapter XXII. One safeguard against disease germs, as stated above, is thorough cooking. Too much care cannot be exercised with reference to the water for drinking purposes. Water which is not perfectly clear, which smells of decaying material, or which forms a sediment on standing is usually not fit to drink. It can, however, be rendered comparatively harmless by boiling. The objections which many people have to drinking boiled water are removed when it is boiled the day before it is used, so as to give it time to cool, settle, and replace the air driven off by the boiling. Care of the bowels. In considering the hygiene of the alimentary canal, the fact that it is used as a means of separating the impurities from the body must not be overlooked. Frequently, through lack of exercise, negligence in evacuating the bowels, or other causes, a weakened condition of the canal is induced which results in the retention of impurities beyond the time when they should be discharged. This is a great annoyance and at the same time a menace to the health. In most cases this condition can be relieved, and prevented from recurring, by observing the following habits. 1. Had a regular time each day for evacuating the bowels. This is a most important factor in securing the necessary movements. 2. Drink a cup of cold water on rising in the morning and on retiring at night. 3. Eat generously of fruits and other coarse foods, such as cornbread, oatmeal, hominy, cabbage, etc. 4. Practice persistently such exercises as bring the abdominal muscles into play. These exercises strengthen indirectly the muscles of the canal. 5. Avoid overwork, especially of the nervous system, alcohol and digestion. Though exciting temporarily a greater flow of the digestive fluids, Alcoholic drinks taken in any but very small quantities are considered detrimental to the work of digestion. Large doses retard the action of enzymes, inflame the mucus lining of the stomach. 65 and bring about a diseased condition of the liver. It may be noted, however, that the bad effects of alcoholic beverages upon the stomach, the liver, and the body in general are less pronounced when these are taken as a part of the regular meals. Effects of tea and coffee, in addition to the stimulating agent caffeine. Tea and coffee contain a bitter, astringent substance, known as tannin. On account of the tannin these beverages tend to retard digestion and to irritate the lining of the stomach effects that may be largely obviated by methods of preparing tea and coffee which dissolve little of the tannin. They should be made without continued boiling or steeping. The caffeine may do harm through its stimulating effect upon the nervous system page 56 and through the introduction of a special waste into the body. In chemical composition caffeine closely resembles a waste, called uric acid, and in the body is converted into this substance. If one is in a weakened condition, the uric acid may fail to be oxidized to a urea, as occurs normally, or to be thrown off as uric acid. In this case it accumulates in the body, causing rheumatism and related diseases. 
It thus happens that while some people may use tea and coffee without detriment, others are injured by them. Summary. The main structure in the digestive system is the alimentary canal. This provides cavities where important dissolving processes take place, and tubes for joining these cavities, while glands connecting with the canal supply the necessary liquids for changing and dissolving the foods. The general plan of digestion is that of passing the food through the canal, beginning with the mouth, and of acting on it at various places, with the final result of reducing most of it to the liquid state. The digestive fluids supply water which acts as a solvent and carries the active chemical agents, or enzymes, that convert the insoluble foods into substances that are soluble. The muscles in the walls of the canal perform the mechanical work of digestion, while the nervous system controls and regulates the activity of the various organs concerned in this work. Exercises. 1. State the general purpose of digestion. How does digested food differ from that not digested? 2. Name all the divisions of the alimentary canal in the order in which the food passes through them. 3. What other work besides digestion is carried on by the alimentary canal? 4. What is gained by the mastication of the food? Why should mastication precede the other processes of digestion? 5. What is the work of the tongue in digestion? 6. State the purposes served by the gastric juice. 7. Give reasons for regarding the small intestine as the most important division of the food canal. 8. At what places, and by the action of what liquids, are fats, proteids, and starch digested? 9. What enzymes are found in the pancreatic juice? What is the digestive action of each? 10. Describe the work performed by the muscles of the stomach, the mouth, the esophagus, and the small intestine. 11. What advantages are derived from the use of cooked food? 12. State the advantages of drinking pure water. 13. If all the food that one needs to take at a single meal can be thoroughly masticated in 15 minutes, why is it better to spend a longer time at the table? 14. What is meant by the overlapping of meals? What bad results follow? How avoided? Practical work examine a dissectable model of the human abdomen figure 75, noting the form, location, and connection of the different organs. Find the connection of the esophagus with the stomach, of the stomach with the small intestine, and of the small intestine with the large intestine. Sketch a general outline of the cavity, and locate in this outline its chief organs, where it is desirable to learn something of the actual structure of the digestive organs. The dissection of the abdomen of some small animal is necessary, on account of unpleasant features likely to be associated with such a dissection. However, this work is not recommended for immature pupils. Figure 75 Figure 75 Model for demonstrating the abdomen and its contents. Dissection of the abdomen. Optional for individual study, or for a small class. A half-grown cat is perhaps the best available material. It should be killed with chloroform, and then stretched, back downward, on a board, the feet being secured to hold it in place. The teacher should make a preliminary examination of the abdomen to see that it is in a fit condition for class study. If the bladder is unnaturally distended, its contents may be forced out by slight pressure. The following materials will be needed during the dissection, and should be kept near at hand, a sharp knife with a good point, a pair of heavy scissors, a vessel of water, some cotton or a damp sponge, and some fine cord. During the dissection the specimen should be kept as clean as possible, and any escaping blood should be mopped up with the cotton or the sponge. The dissection is best carried out by observing the following order. One. Cut through the abdominal wall in the center of the triangular space where the ribs converge. 
from here cut a slit downward to the lower portion of the abdomen, and sideward as far as convenient, tack the loosened abdominal walls to the board, and proceed to study the exposed parts, observe the muscles in the abdominal walls, and the fold of the peritoneum which forms an apron-like covering over the intestines, Two. Observe the position of the stomach, liver, spleen, and intestines, and then, by pushing the intestines to one side, find the kidneys and the bladder. 3. Study the liver with reference to its location, size, shape, and color. On the underside, find the gallbladder, from which a small tube leads to the small intestine. Observe the portal vein as it passes into the liver, as the liver is filled with blood. Neither it nor its connecting blood vessels should be cut at this time. 4. Trace out the continuity of the canal. Find the esophagus where it penetrates the diaphragm and joins the stomach. Find next the union of the stomach with the small intestine. Then, by carefully following the coils of the small intestine, discover its union with the large intestine. 5. Within the first coil of the small intestine, as it leaves the stomach, find the pancreas. Note its color, size, and branches. Find its connection with the small intestine. 6. Beginning at the cut portion of the abdominal wall, lift the thin lining of the peritoneum and carefully follow it toward the back and central portion of the abdomen. Observe whether it extends back of or in front of the kidneys, the aorta, and the inferior vena cava. Find where it leaves the wall as a double membrane, the mesentery, which surrounds and holds in place the large and small intestines. Sketch a coil of the intestine, showing the mesentery. 7. Find in the center of the coils of small intestine a long, slender body having the appearance of a gland. This is the beginning of the thoracic duct and is called the receptacle of the chyle. From this the thoracic duct rapidly narrows until it forms a tiny tube difficult to trace in a small animal. 8. Cut away about 2 inches of the small intestine from the remainder. Having first tied the tube on the two sides of the section removed, split it open for a part of its length, and wash out its contents. Observe its coats. Place it in a shallow vessel containing water, and examine the mucous membrane with a lens to find the villi. Make a drawing of this section, showing the coats. 9. Study the connection of the small intestine with the large. Split them open at the place of union. Wash out the contents, and examine the ileocecal valve. 10. Observe the size, shape, and position of the kidneys. Do they lie in front of or back of the peritoneum? Do they lie exactly opposite each other? Note the connection of each kidney with the aorta and the inferior vena cava by the renal artery and the renal vein. Find a slender tube, the ureter, running from each kidney to the bladder. Do the ureters connect with the top or with the base of the bladder? Show by a sketch the connection of the kidneys with the large blood vessels and the bladder. To demonstrate the teeth, procure from the dentist a collection of different kinds of teeth, both sound and decayed. Examine external surfaces of different kinds of teeth, noting general shape cutting or grinding surfaces, etc. Make a drawing of an incisor and also of a molar. After soaking some of the teeth for a couple of days in warm water saw one of them into lengthwise, and another into crosswise, and smooth the cut surfaces with fine emery or sandpaper. Examine both kinds of sections, noting arrangement and extent of dentine, enamel, and pulp. Make drawings. Examine a decayed tooth, which substance of the tooth appears to decay most readily. Why is it necessary to cut away a part of the tooth before filling? Test the effect of acids upon the teeth by leaving a tooth overnight in a mixture of one part hydrochloric acid to four parts water, and by leaving a second tooth for a couple of days in strong vinegar. Examine the teeth exposed to the action of acids, 
noting results, to show the importance of mastication, fill two tumblers each half full of water, into one put a lump of rock salt, into the other place an equal amount of salt that has been finely pulverized, which dissolves first and why, to illustrate acid and alkaline reactions, to a tumbler half full of water add a teaspoonful of hydrochloric or other acid, as vinegar, to a second tumbler half full of water add an equal amount of cooking soda, taste each liquid, noting the sour taste of the acid, and the alkaline taste of the soda, hold a piece of red litmus paper in the soda solution, noting that it is turned blue, then hold a piece of blue litmus paper in the acid solution, noting that it is turned red, add acid to the soda solution, and soda to the acid solution, until the conditions are reversed, testing with the red and blue litmus papers, hold, for a minute or longer, a narrow strip of red litmus paper in the mouth, noting any change in the color of the paper, repeat, using blue litmus paper, what effect, if any, has the saliva upon the color of the papers, has the mouth an acid or an alkaline reaction, to show the action of saliva on starch, one optional, prepare starch paste by mixing half a teaspoonful of starch in half a pint of water and heating the mixture to boiling, place some of this in a test tube and thin it by adding more water, then add a small drop of iodine solution page 136 to the solution of starch, it should turn a deep blue color, this is the test for starch, now collect from the mouth, in a clean test tube, two or three teaspoonfuls of saliva, add portions of this to small amounts of fresh starch solution into test tubes, let the tubes stand for 5 or 10 minutes surrounded by water having about the temperature of the body, test for changes that have occurred as follows, to a one tube add a little of the iodine solution, if it does not turn blue, it shows that the starch has been converted into some other substance by the saliva, to the other tube add a few drops of a very dilute solution of copper sulfate, then add sodium or potassium hydroxide, a few drops at a time, until the precipitate which first forms dissolves and turns a deep blue, then gradually heat the upper portion of the liquid to boiling, if it turns an orange or yellowish red color, the presence of a form of sugar maltose or dextrose is proved, see page 136, 2, hold some powdered starch in the mouth until it completely dissolves and observe that it gradually acquires a sweetish taste, this shows the change of starch into sugar, to illustrate the action of the gastric juice, add to a tumbler two thirds full of water as much scale pepsin obtained from a drugstore as will stay on the end of the large blade of a penknife, then add enough hydrochloric acid to give a slightly sour taste, place in the artificial gastric juice thus prepared some boiled white of egg which has been finely divided by pressing it through a piece of wire gauze, also drop in a single large lump, keep in a warm place about the temperature of the body for several hours or a day, examining from time to time, what is the general effect of the artificial gastric juice upon the egg, to illustrate effect of alcohol upon gastric digestion, prepare a tumbler half full of artificial gastric juice as in the above experiment, and add 10 cubic centimeters of this to each of 6 clean test tubes bearing labels, to 5 of the tubes add alcohol from a burette as follows, 1.5 cc to 1 cc 3 1.5 cc 4 2 cc and 5 3 cc leaving 1 tube without alcohol, now add to each tube about 1 4 gram of finely divided white of egg from the experiment above, and place all of the tubes in a beaker half full of water, keep the water a little above the temperature of the body for several hours, Examining the tubes at intervals to note the progress of digestion, inferences, chapters I absorption, storage, and assimilation the dissolved nutrients, to reach the cells, 
must be transferred from the alimentary canal to the bloodstream. This process is known as absorption. In general, absorption means the penetration of a liquid into the pores of a solid, and takes place according to the simple laws of molecular movements. The absorption of food island however, not a simple process, and the passage takes place through an active living membrane. Another difference is that certain foods undergo chemical change while being absorbed. Small intestine is an organ of absorption, while absorption may occur to a greater or less extent along the entire length of the alimentary canal. Most of it takes place at the small intestine. Its great length, its small diameter, and its numerous blood vessels all adapt the small intestine to the work of absorption. The transverse folds in the mucous membrane, by retarding the food in its passage and by increasing the absorbing surface, also aid in the process. But of greatest importance are the minute elevations that cover the surface of the mucous membrane, known as the villi. Each single elevation, or villus, has a length of about one-fiftieth of an inch and a diameter about half as great. Figure 76, and contains the following essential parts. 1. An outer layer of epithelial cells, resting upon a connective tissue support. 2. A small lymph tube, called a lacteal which occupies the center of the villus and connects at the base with other lymph tubes, also called lacteals. Figure 76. 3. A network of capillaries. The villi are structures especially adapted to the work of absorption, and they are found only in the small intestine, the mucous membrane and all parts of the canal, however, is capable of taking up some of the digested materials. Figure 76. Figure 76. The villi. A diagram of a small section of mucous membrane of small intestine. 1. Villi. 2. Small glands, called crypts. B diagram showing structure of villi. 1. Small artery. 2. Lacteal. 3. Villus showing termination of the lacteal. 4. Villus showing capillaries. 5. Villus showing both the lacteal and the capillaries. 6. Small vein. 7. Layer of epithelial cells. Work of capillaries and lacteals. The capillaries and lacteals act as receivers of material as it passes through the layer of epithelial cells covering the mucous membrane. The lacteals take up the digested fats. 66 and the capillaries receive all the other kinds of nutrients. These vessels do not, of course, retain the absorbed materials, but pass them on. Their final destination is the general circulation, which they reach by two well-defined channels, or roots, roots to the circulation. The two roots from the place of absorption to the general circulation are as follows. 1. Root taken by the fat. The fat is conveyed by the lacteals from the villi to the receptacle of the chyle. At this place it mingles with the lymph from the lower parts of the body, and with it passes through the thoracic duct to the left subclavian vein. Here it enters the general circulation. Thus, to reach the general circulation, the fat has to pass through the villi, the lacteals, the receptacle of the chyle and the thoracic duct figure 77, its passage through these places, like the movements in all lymph vessels, is slow, and it is only gradually admitted to the bloodstream, figure 77 figure 77 diagram of roots from food canal to general circulation, see text, 2, root of all the nutrients except fat, water and salts and the digested proteids and carbohydrates, in passing into the capillaries, mix there with the blood, but this blood, instead of flowing directly to the heart, is passed through the portal vein to the liver, where it enters a second set of capillaries and is brought very near the liver cells. From the liver it is passed through the hepatic veins into the inferior vena cava, and by these it is emptied into the right auricle, 
This root then includes the capillaries in the mucous membrane of the stomach and intestines, the branches of the portal vein, the portal vein proper, the liver, and the hepatic veins figure 77. In passing through the liver, a large portion of the food material is temporarily retained for a purpose and in a manner to be described later page 177. Absorption changes. During digestion the insoluble foods are converted into certain soluble materials, such as peptones, maltose, and glycerin, the conversion being necessary to their solution. A natural supposition is that these materials enter and become a part of the blood, but examination shows them to be absent from this liquid. See Composition of the Blood. Page 30. There are present in the blood, however, substances closely related to the peptones, maltose, glycerin, etc., substances which had in fact been formed from them. During their transfer from the food canal, the dissolved nutrients undergo changes, giving rise to the materials in the blood. Thus are the serum albumin and serum globulin of the blood derived from the peptones and proteoses, the dextrose, from the maltose and other forms of sugar, and the fat droplets, from the glycerin, fatty acid, and soluble soap. While considerable doubt exists as to the cause of these changes and as to the places also where some of them occur, their purpose is quite apparent. The materials forming the dissolved foods, although adapted to absorption, are not sweet to the needs of the body, and if introduced in this form are likely to interfere with its work. 67 They are changed, therefore, into the forms which the body can use. A second purpose of digestion, comparing the digestive changes with those of absorption, it is found that they are of a directly opposite nature, that while digestion is a process of tearing down, or separating, one which reduces the food to a more finely divided condition there is an absorption a process of building up, from the comparatively simple compounds formed by digestion, there are formed during absorption the more complex compounds of the blood, the one exception is dextrose, which is a simple sugar, but even this is combined in the liver and the muscles to form the more complex compound known as glycogen. See methods of storage. Below. These facts have suggested a second purpose of digestion that of reducing foods to forms sufficiently simple to enable the body to construct out of them the more complex materials that it needs. Evidence that digestion serves such a purpose is found in the fact that both proteids and carbohydrates are reduced to a simpler form than is necessary for dissolving them. 68 The storage of nutriment. For some time after the taking of a meal, food materials are being absorbed more rapidly than they can be used by the cells. Following this is an interval when the body is taking no food, but during which the cells must be supplied with nourishment. It also happens that the total amount of food absorbed during a long interval may be in excess of the needs of the cells during that time, and it is always possible, as in disease, that the quantity absorbed is not equal to that consumed to provide against emergencies, and to keep up a uniform supply of food to the cells, it is necessary that the body store up nutrients in excess of its needs. Methods of storage. The general plan of storage varies with the different nutrients as follows. 1. The carbohydrates are stored in the form of glycogen. This, as already stated page 120, is a substance closely resembling starch. It is stored in the cells of both the liver and the muscles, but mainly in the liver figure 78. It is a chief function of the liver to collect the excess of dextrose from the blood passing through it, and to convert it into glycogen, which it then stores within its cells. It does not, however, separate all of the dextrose from the blood, a small amount being left for supplying the immediate needs of the tissues. As this is used, the glycogen in the liver is changed back to dextrose and, dissolving, again finds its way into the blood. 
In this way, the amount of dextrose in the blood is kept practically constant. The carbohydrates are stored also by converting them into fat. Figure 78 Figure 78 Liver cells where is stored the glycogen. See capillaries. Figure 79 Figure 79 Stored up fat. The figure shows four connective tissue cells containing small particles of fat. 1. Nucleus. 2. Protoplasm. 3. Fat. 4. Connective tissue fibers. 2. The fat is stored for the most part in the connective tissue. Certain of the connective tissue cells have the property of taking fat from the blood and of depositing it within their enclosing membranes. Figure 79. When this is done to excess, and the cells become filled with fat, they form the so-called adipose tissue. Most of this tissue is found under the skin, between the muscles, and among the organs occupying the abdominal cavity. If one readily takes on fat, it may also collect in the connective tissue around the heart. The stored up fat is redissolved as needed, and enters the blood, where it again becomes available to the active cells. 3. The proteids form a part of all the tissues, and for this reason are stored in larger quantities than any of the other food substances. The large amount of proteid found in the blood may also be looked upon as storage material. The proteids in the various tissues are spoken of as tissue proteids, and those in the blood as circulating proteids. The proteids of the tissues serve the double purpose of forming a working part of the cell protoplasm, and of supplying reserve food material, that they are available for supplying energy, and are properly regarded as storage material, is shown by the rapid loss of proteid in starving animals. When the proteids are eaten in excess of the body's need for rebuilding the tissues, they are supposed to be broken up in such a manner as to form glycogen and fat, which may then be stored in ways already described. General facts relating to storage. The form into which the food is converted for storage in the body is that of solids the form that takes up the least amount of space. These solids are of such a nature that they can be changed back into their former condition and, by dissolving, re-enter the blood. Only energy-yielding foods are stored, water and salts, though they may be absorbed in excess of the needs of the body, are not converted into other substances and stored away. Oxygen, as already stated page 108, is not stored. The interval of storage may be long or short, depending upon the needs of the body. In the consumption of stored material the glycogen is used first, then as a rule the fat, and last of all the proteids, storage in the food canal. Not until three or four hours have elapsed are all the nutrients, eaten at a single meal, digested and passed into the body proper. The undigest food is held in reserve, awaiting digestion, and is only gradually absorbed as this process takes place. It may properly, on this account, be regarded as stored material. That such storage is of advantage is shown by the observed fact that substances which digest quickly sugar, dextrin, pre-digested foods, etc. do not supply the needs of the body so well as do substances which, like starch and proteids, digest slowly, even substances digesting quite slowly greasy foods and pastry, since they can be stored longer in the food canal, may be of real advantage where, from hard work or exposure, the body requires a large supply of energy for some time, these, stay by, the laborer, giving him strength after the more easily digested foods have been used up. Storage by the food canal is limited chiefly to the stomach. Regulation of the food supply to the cells. The storage of food materials is made to serve a second purpose in the plan of the body which is even more important than that of supplying nourishment to the cells during the intervals when no food is being taken. It is largely the means whereby the rate of supply of materials to the cells is regulated. 
the cells obtain their materials from the lymph, and the lymph is supplied from the blood. Should food substances, such as sugar, increase in the blood beyond a low percent, they are converted into a form, like glycogen, in which they are held in reserve, or, for the time being, placed beyond the reach of the cells. When, however, the supply is reduced, the stored up materials re-enter the blood and again become available to the cells. By this means their rate of supply to the cells is practically constant. We are now in a position to understand why carbohydrates, fats, and proteids are so well adapted to the needs of the body, while other substances, like alcohol, which may also liberate energy, prove injurious. It is because foods are of such a chemical nature that they are adapted in all respects to the body plan of taking up and using materials, while the other substances are lacking in some particular. Figure 80 Figure 80 Diagrams illustrating the relation of nutrients and the non-relation of these to alcohol. A interrelation and convertibility of proteids, fats, and carbohydrates after haul. B Diagram showing disposition of alcohol if this substance is taken in quantity corresponding to that of the nutrients FMW. The alcohol thrown off as waste is unoxidized and yields no energy. Why alcohol is not a food? If the passage of alcohol through the body is followed. It is seen, in the first place, that it is a simple liquid and undergoes no digestive change, and in the second place, that it is rapidly absorbed from the stomach in both weak and concentrated solutions. This introduces it quickly into the blood, and once there, it diffuses rapidly into the lymph and then into the cells. Since the body cannot store alcohol or convert it into some nutrient that can be stored figure 80, there is no way of regulating the amount that shall be present in the blood or of supplying it to the cells as their needs require. They must take it in excess of their needs, regardless of the effect, at least until the organs of excretion can throw off the surplus as waste. Compared with proteid, carbohydrates, or fats, alcohol is an unmanageable substance in the body. Attempting to use it as a food is as foolish as trying to burn gasoline or kerosene in an ordinary wood stove. It may be done to a limited extent, but is an exceedingly hazardous experiment not being adapted to the body method of using materials. Alcohol cannot be classed as a food. Assimilation, digestion, absorption, circulation, and storage of foods are the processes that finally make them available to the cells in the different parts of the body. There still remains another process for these materials to undergo before they serve their final purposes. This last process, known as assim, 